0: see, here, ooh, look at that, Matthew 1, we'll read and then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about Jesus' genealogy. <clears throat> uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, Abraham begot Isaac. Uh, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. <laughs> Aminadab begot Nahshon, and Nashon begot Salmon. <clears throat> Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse (coughs) begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. (laughs) That's a favorite of mine. Uh, Jehoshaphat uh, begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, or Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah uh, begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, another favorite, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, which is by far my favorite. <clears throat> Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim. And Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim. And Achim begot Eliud. Uh, Eliud begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathan. And Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Messiah, till the Christ, are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. All right, let's pray, guys. Father, as we start uh, this um, this journey through um, the Gospel of Matthew, my uh, prayer is that we would um, be, just as we are wanting to be as we go through all of the Scriptures, that we would see Jesus. And maybe for some of us, we've, we've been through the book of Matthew. <laughs> maybe we've been through it a couple times and it's an uh, old hat. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that um, you'd reveal yourself to us in ways, um, through, through what's written, in ways that, that we haven't seen you before. That we would know you uh, in, um, with more intimacy, with greater detail. And that that would overflow in us as love toward you, Lord, and as love toward each other we need your help to do that so would you do that work in us it's very easy for us to be distracted um, sometimes when it comes to these stories the reality that uh, familiarity breeds contempt is uh, is true for us because we've heard it uh, numerous times many of us Lord would you make um, yourself, your presence fresh to us as we go through your word even now I pray would you please do it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So uh, the only thing we're going to look at today is a li- is the list of names, right? So verses 1 through uh, 17 there are essentially the list of names in G- Jesus' genealogy. Something that I always thought was interesting was like in Genesis chapter 5, we have the, the genealogy of Adam, and it says that, Uh, each person lived and lived a certain amount of years and then they had children and then they lived a few more years after that and then they, well, a few more, right? It was a long time. (laughs) If you've read through Genesis 5, right? There's very, very long uh, ages listed there. But they lived a while and then they died. They died. Um, That's the genealogy of Adam. Every single person listed, it always says, and he died, and he died, and he died. I always (laughs) thought that was fascinating because then we come to Matthew chapter 1, to Jesus' genealogy. It doesn't mention anybody's death. A reminder to me that in Adam all die, as Paul wrote. (laughs) But in Jesus, we can have life. Um, This contrast between these two people, the first Adam and the last Adam, or the last man, Jesus, as he's referred to again by the Apostle Paul. Um, I read a story recently about uh, uh, a... uh, One of the stories I read, actually two of them. One of them was about Krispy Kreme. Uh, I hope you guys like Krispy Kreme because they are the greatest donuts known. (laughs) Uh, uh, Particularly, you know, when they're hot now, the glaze just—you can watch them if you go when it's hot now, and you can watch the glaze waterfall fall onto them. I'm not sure there's a greater experience on earth. It's amazing, Um, and you get them and they just melt in your mouth. (laughs) They're so good. Uh, but recently, they did their own internal study that the company conducted, and they found that some of their uh, some of their um, uh, relatives who started Krispy Kreme uh, were actually Nazis, apparently. Uh, so they decided to, this was an internal thing; it wasn't one of those scandalous things where somebody found out and then did whatever. And now I'm like, oh, oh, great! You know, it's called Krispy Kreme with two K's. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, great. You know, it's so, a reminder of some of that other. Uh, that other uh, um, racism stuff, but anyhow, um, they've decided to give like a bunch of money. I forget how much. I think three million dollars or something like that. They're going to make a donation to um, to some sort of charity uh, as sort of uh, a way to say, "Listen, we know this is in our history, and uh, we just want we want to help some people." You know, so I thought that was interesting. But that's their history. <laughs> uh, you and I have some history. Uh, my family is from. Uh, Germany. Um, most of my family is from Germany, uh, but uh, my um, dad—I think my dad's dad is from Canada. We don't like to talk about that much, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, we actually didn't know who my dad's dad, my dad's biological father, was for a while. My dad was adopted by the man that I knew as my grandfather on my dad's side. Um, he, he's the only person I ever knew as my granddad on that side. But uh, anyhow, um, we all certainly have history, right? Uh, I always thought it was interesting when people do those like DNA tests, you know, like the 23 and me or the uh, ancestry.com, or whatever. And like these, um, the set of twins, I recently did them and they did as sort of a, an investigative thing. They sent their DNA to like five different DNA testing companies. And, uh, Every company gave them somewhat different results, you know, because it's, it's an educated guess, essentially, what they're doing. The algorithms that they use, not exact, you know, but it's an educated guess. But the fascinating thing to me was that there was a variation not only between, uh, between the different companies, but actually between the two different... Uh, sisters, the twins themselves, whose DNA uh, should be uh, the same, uh, there was some variation in it, uh, in th- that as well. So, um, or at least mostly the same. I don't know if they were uh, identical. Actually, I didn't, couldn't find that particular bit of information in the story, which is a little bit pertinent, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, but anyhow, um, uh, our families have history. Jesus' family has history. One thing that I, when I've been taught through this genealogy in the book of Matthew in the past, one of the things that I uh, was taught over and over again was how we notice how there are women listed in the genealogy. Uh, And I was told over and over and over again, this is really strange. Women wouldn't normally ever really be listed there. And it's another testimony of how Jesus always elevates the status of, of women in culture, no matter where. Uh, His name is preached. And and that's a fine message. That's wonderful. And certainly there's some history to show that everywhere the gospel of Jesus has gone, the status of women in that culture has risen from property to uh, usually individual rights. Um, Because in almost all ancient cultures, women were considered um, simply property of men. Um, Not all of them, but in almost all of them. in Many ancient cultures. But... um, One thing that I noticed as I was studying, I looked in the genealogies listed in First Chronicles, and you know what I found? I found women's names. (laughs) So uh, it seems that this isn't actually all that uncommon. Possibly. <laughs> they're, they're also listed there in the, the uh, genealogies of uh, the Israelites listed there in uh, First Chronicles. We find some women, some of the same women actually mentioned. And we'll kind of look at them specifically uh, this morning. These um, uh, particular women that are mentioned. Four, specifically five if you count uh, uh, Mary there. Um, Anyhow, verse 1 says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, right? So before we even move on, let's remember that the Christ, that phrase, that title means the Messiah, the one anointed by God. Now, Matthew says he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Now, I can't move on that fast. I just can't, okay? You got to understand that. Let's try and put ourselves into, into some first century history here and recognize that the nation of Israel had been promised a savior for years and years and years and years. Beginning really in Genesis chapter 3 when God said to Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent that had deceived her. That promise was something she was looking forward to being fulfilled and it didn't for a very long, long, long time. It wasn't, right? And, and it will one day be fulfilled in completion right? Matthew, this um, Jewish man who became one of the uh, 12 apostles, Matthew, also known as Levi in the New Testament, um, he was a tax collector. Uh, it seems that his position was one that He worked for the Roman government that sort of was controlling the nation of Israel. And so many people uh, look at Matthew and uh, say that or suggest rather that Matthew would have been considered somewhat of a traitor to the nation of Israel by collecting taxes for their, essentially their occupiers, right? The people that had uh, taken authority or power from them. And yet he was one of the ones that Jesus chose to be close to him, one of the twelve. Matthew begins this particular writing by announcing to us that this is the the history, the family history of Jesus the Messiah, who is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, it may not mean a whole lot to you, but that's really, really, really important because for many, many, many years, Israel was waiting for the Messiah. The last prophet before um, John the Baptist showed up on the scene, the last official prophet, if we could say it that way, Um, died some 400 years before John the Baptist shows up on the scene. It's a long time. It's a long time where there is no oracle, no word of the Lord in that official prophetic sense as there had been previously. It's a long time for there to be silence. Keep in mind that that's almost twice as long as the United States of America has been a country, guys. (laughs) Like... You know, we look at our history and we're like, oh man, George Washington was so long ago, right? Well, double that, almost, right? And that's how long this time had been. Not only that they were waiting for the Messiah, because that had been at least a thousand, couple thousand years before that. That's just from the time there was the last prophet speaking the oracle of God, the word of God. And so now Matthew writes, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the one anointed by God, who's the son of David, David, and the son of Abraham. See, that's really important because Jesus can't be the Messiah of Israel if he's not the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, God called Abraham out from his family. He was just a a pagan idol worshiper, and God called him out to follow him, and he came away from his family. And his father, Tira, and he worshiped the one true God. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 12, God gave a promise to him that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Paul's going to pick that, that idea up later in the book of Galatians. We're going to get there eventually. Uh, that's hopefully where we're, we're um, culminating, <laughs> where we're, we're getting to. But um, God gave that promise to Abraham. So the Messiah, the one sent to save the world, the seed of the woman promised to crush the head of the serpent, there in Genesis chapter three, had to come through this man now. Not only through, not only through, uh, oh great, no signal. <laughs> not only through Eve, but through, through Abraham. Now he also had to be the son of David promise was given to David after David built a house, he finally eventually settled the nation of Israel uh, in their central city there in Jerusalem, the city of peace. He settled there and he had lavish things for himself and he was sitting in his own palace and he looked out and he saw the tent where they met with God (laughs) and he said, wait, 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 why am I in this beautiful, amazing palace? And God is hanging out in a tent, right? That's crazy. Let's build God a house. And of course, he he, uh, checks with uh, his friend, uh, Nathan the prophet, who says, yes, it's a great idea. (laughs) And and so he begins to put things in order. And then God speaks to Nathan later that night. And he says, actually, (laughs) actually, David is a man of war. And his hands are bloody. Um, While David was able to prepare everything for the temple to be built. He himself was not allowed to build the temple. Rather, David's son Solomon would be the one who built the temple. David set everything in order, got all of, the, all of the ingredients necessary for the construction of the temple, got everything together, had the plans ready to go. And then when Solomon became king, Solomon fulfilled that by building it. But in that rebuke to David, saying, Dave, your hands are bloody, God said to him, here's an even, even greater thing. I'm going to build you, your family, into a dynasty, into a house that will last forever. You see, now now the promise of the Messiah to save the world not only has to be through Eve, now it has to be through Abraham, and it also has to be through David. Okay? As we list the names of, these, uh, of the people here, uh, one thing that you'll notice if you've gone through the Old Testament is that many of these are kings of Israel. And particularly later on, uh, after David and Solomon, kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay? Now remember, after Solomon's son Rehoboam, the kingdom was split in two, into a northern part uh, of Israel, and the southern part, that was Judah and Benjamin. The other ten tribes were part of the northern kingdom, and they were carried off into captivity first, then eventually the southern kingdom would be carried off into captivity uh, because of their rebellion as well. But... um, Regardless, what you'll find is that this is essentially a kingly history, a kingly line, and that is Matthew's point. Jesus is the king; he's the king of Israel, and even greater than that, the Bible refers to him as the King of Kings. It's one of the—I I love that title, you know, because I, I, I get that we maybe are somewhat limited in our understanding of of monarchy of the the. Um, um, the responsibilities and the power involved in a monarchy, certainly ancient monarchies. Um, but for, for Christians, for um, Jews to call God and to call <coughs> Jesus the king of kings is a huge deal. It's like, there are all these other kings that are ruling stuff, right? Whether it's like president Trump or, I mean, he might want to think of himself as a king. I don't know. Uh but um, whether it's him or whether it's, whether it's the rulers of other countries, he's the king of all kings. There's nothing non-political about that statement. You've got to understand that is a highly political... He's saying everybody else, all the other world's rulers, are under a different ruler. He's the king of all kings. That's, that's an overwhelming reality if we'll trust him. (laughs) And one that maybe causes us to ask some questions, right? (laughs) Like, if nothing else, Lord, why? (laughs) Why? I don't think that's a bad question to ask. In fact, I encourage you, ask the Lord. Talk to him. (sighs) He may not tell you why. I'll show you who he is. So this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. You guys might remember that story there. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, which is a bit of a twisted story. Uh, If you're reading through the Old Testament with your kids, you might be tempted to censor this one. Uh, It involves some interesting um, birth control methods and the death of those involved in those things. Um, (laughs) It's not a biblical statement that is anti-birth control. I think that's nonsense. Um, But it is an interesting uh, story. And then eventually, um, because Judah won't keep his word to his daughter-in-law, she dresses up like a prostitute and he's going into a city, and she's hanging out there all dressed up, and he doesn't recognize her. And so he hires her, because I guess he wants some booty. And Sorry. <laughs> and then, of course, she gets pregnant, right? And that, uh, that is where this uh, situation comes from, even though she is his daughter-in-law. She had been married to uh, two of his sons, and he was keeping his third son from her. I don't know if he thought it was the cooking or something, you know. Like, uh, the the Bible says exactly what it was. Those other two sons were in rebellion to God. And so God uh, dealt with them uh, severely. Okay. Uh, regardless, um, Judah begot Perez by Zerah, uh, and Zerah by Tamar, rather. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab two other names you might be familiar with right if you've read the story of Ruth certainly would be familiar with Boaz and his role there in that particular story who ends up uh, taking this uh, Moabitess woman and marrying her he is her near kinsman even though there was um One closer, he sort of denied his near kinsman rights, and then Boaz takes her, um, and uh, she becomes his uh, wife. Uh, But it's interesting that Boaz is actually um, the son of Rahab. Rahab, a prostitute who believed God when the nation of Israel was entering the land of Canaan. And so God said, uh, provided a way of provision for her and for her family, anybody in her household to be saved. When the walls of Jericho came down, her house was in the wall. It seems like that part of the wall didn't fall. (laughs) And she was preserved, and anybody in her house was saved. A prostitute. Okay, so we have Tamar, who dressed up like a prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law, uh, and then we have Rahab, who was uh, just a straight-up prostitute. Okay. <clears throat> and then Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabitess woman. Um, a family, the Moabites were those that God said they were not to enter into the congregation of the Lord for several generations. And yet she was received in... <laughs> boaz begot obed by ruth obed begot jesse and jesse begot david the king if you remember the stories of david he's like the runt of the litter right (laughs) all his older brothers go off to war and they leave him home to uh, tend to the flock to the family uh, farm essentially you know and then of course all the brothers are terrified when goliath faces the armies of israel and david rolls up with some food for his family right (laughs) i just love these stories man And David deals with uh, Goliath. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her of Uriah. By her who had been the wife of Uriah. The translators kind of added those italicized words there to help us understand the idea there. Um, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. If you remember that story. Uh, beautiful Bathsheba is hanging out on the rooftop taking her bath, and David, who probably should have been at war since he's the king of Israel, and it was springtime. War time had started again. They took breaks during the winter because it's hard to fight in the winter. So, so they uh, they were supposed to go back to war in the in the spring. David didn't go, and he sees this beautiful young lady Bathsheba uh, taking a bath, and he's like, "She's fine, and I want her." And so he takes her because he's the king, right? That's what kings do. Um, he does and she ends up getting pregnant. And so he devises a plot to bring back her husband, Uriah, who was leading his armies away. Uriah was a very faithful man and he loved David. And uh, he devised this plot to bring Uriah home and uh, say, hey, he said, hey, Uriah, go spend some time with your wife. You're on like a war vacation. Go spend some time with your lady, you know, and Uriah is like, no. No, my men are out there dying. I'll sleep right here on the, on the doorstep of, the, of the, the, the king's palace. There's no way I'm, I'm doing... No, no, absolutely not. Because you know, the man was a man of integrity. <laughs> um, and so David had to find another way uh, to kill him. So he ended up sending a letter back with him that essentially advised uh, the others to go into the heat of battle and then to withdraw, but not to tell Uriah that they were all withdrawing. And they did that. So David condemned Uriah to death. His his death is on David's hands. And then now that Uriah is dead, oh, that pretty little Bathsheba with child. (laughs) She now becomes one of David's wives. He had numerous wives. She becomes one of them. In the line of Jesus. In the line of the Messiah. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. And Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Now, Jeconiah goes by several names. He's known as Jeconiah, Coniah, or Jehoiachin, uh, depending on the particular uh, book that you're reading from. Uh, But those are all referring to the same king. This particular section, what it does, it lists for us kings in the nation of Israel, particularly the southern kingdom of Judah, kings. Because Matthew's point here is to show us that Jesus is the king. He's the rightful king of Israel, right? Now, um, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers, as we read, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Now, Jeconiah was a pretty bad dude. And there's a couple of prophecies about uh, Jeconiah, about Caniah in uh, Jeremiah that essentially say, uh, dude, none of your kids are going to sit on the kingdom, (laughs) on the throne, (laughs) It's a pretty serious judgment, and essentially, this is where Israel is carried away, and Israel never has a monarchy the way that they had previously, from this point on. They never had another monarchy. They had different rulers and different uh, styles or forms of government, even after they were brought back from captivity, but they never had a monarchy the way that they did during the age of the kings. And I think that was probably the fulfillment of that, that prophecy concerning Caniah, concerning Jeconiah. He was carried away into captivity uh, into Babylon uh, with the southern kingdom of Israel. After they were brought to Babylon, verse 12, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel. Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel was involved in the coming back from captivity, in the rebuilding of the nation of Israel. Zerubbabel and a man named Joshua, which is actually the same name as Jesus, right? Yeshua. Um, So, Zerubbabel and Joshua and uh, Ezra and uh, Nehemiah, they all come back. And there's a couple different uh, uh, sets that come back. Anyhow. Um, Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abayu, Abayu begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Elihu, Elihu begot Eleazar. Oh, take a breath. <laughs> Eleazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now those phrases are important. Okay? Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. See, Jesus came from Mary. Jesus did not come from Joseph, right? from Joseph's seed, if you would, which is one of the things that's, I think, really vital about the the virgin birth, the promise given to Eve that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. It's fascinating that God said to, and we'll get to it more next week, but one of the prophecies about the Messiah was that uh, Israel would know the Messiah has come because a virgin, this would be the sign they received, a virgin would be with child, right? And there have been people that try and discredit that, and they say, well, the word just means like a young girl or whatever, and that's fine. But listen, seriously, if God's going to give you a sign, message for you to know something, he's not going to say, listen, a young girl's going to have a baby. You know why? Because that's not a sign, you guys. It's it's there's nothing right. Young girls have babies all the time, right? This is just such a normal thing, right? Doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, the the Greek word that's translated virgin here in in um, in uh, Matthew chapter one certainly is it, it, it implies that. Uh, it implies specifically a virgin, not just a young girl, even though the Hebrew word does mean a, a young girl. But uh, regardless, that's not a sign, right? That's not, you're not like, oh, the Messiah has come because a young girl got pregnant, right? Wait a minute. This happens all the time. This is a normal thing, right? Uh, for young girls to get, uh, to get pregnant. So anyhow, um, it is specifically stated that Jacob begot Joseph. Joseph is the husband of Mary, but it's of Mary. <laughs> of whom? Uh, was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And he's going to sort of bring that out more in the next section there that we read in the second part of of, uh, Matthew chapter 1. The last uh, line here says this, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Messiah are 14 generations. Now, Some of these uh, names you'll notice, particularly if you go back through the uh, genealogies listed in the Old Testament, you'll notice that some of there are some generations that are skipped, or names that are skipped, and that's not an uncommon thing with genealogies, to put a grandfather as the father, because it doesn't actually say father anyways, but to say that a grandfather, that a certain child came from the grandfather, right? That's a normal thing, right? I consider my kids to also be the kids of their grandparents, right? <laughs> like they're also their children, by extension, because I came from them, right? So it's a very normal thing. It seems that uh, what many people suggested that Matthew does here is he sort of summarizes the genealogy of Jesus to make it easily, readily um, memorable. He separates it into these three groups of 14 generations so that, it, particularly for Jews, when they're presenting the gospel of Jesus saying, The Messiah has come! The kingdom of God has been presented to us! The Messiah has come! The kingdom is within, is within reach! Jesus is the Messiah. And they would say, well, wait, 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 who is this Jesus? Then they could go back and say, listen, here, he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And they would be able to kind of roll off this list of names to any Jewish person that may ask. Because if Jesus is not the son of Abraham, if he's not the son of David, if he doesn't have this lineage, then he's not the Messiah of Israel. He is not the one that God has promised. And Matthew's whole case, he's going to quote the Old Testament more than any of the other uh, gospel writers. He's one of the uh, three synoptic gospels. These are some of that uh, sort of unnecessary information, but maybe help us set things in order in our mind. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they're very similar in what they present to us. And there's suggestion that Mark wrote his gospel first, and Matthew and Luke sort of were familiar with or even had copies of Mark's writing as they were writing theirs because there are some parts that are very, very similar. But then there's incredible details added in addition to what Mark wrote. Mark's is very short and concise. He deals with more action than he does with teaching. Matthew deals a lot more with teaching and with presenting Jesus as the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies concerning the Messiah. And Luke presents Jesus as the suffering servant for all of humanity. Luke was a a Greek He was not a Jewish man, but he traveled around with the apostles. And he specifically says that he went around and collected, gathered information together and then wrote in order the things that happened. Luke tells us that at the beginning of his gospel, of his writing. And then we have John, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, (laughs) whose content and uh, information. It's like John was familiar with the other writings and was like, there's more stuff (laughs) and and so he very specifically uh, doesn't include things that uh, we find in the other um, gospel letters, gospel writings uh, that have been um, preserved for us but Either way, it seems that what Matthew may have been doing here was summarizing the genealogy of Jesus with these three sets of uh, 14 so that it would be readily presentable, so that it would be easy to memorize and then readily presentable to any Jewish person that would say, wait a minute, is he really the descendant of Abraham and the descendant of David? And they could roll off this list of things. Now, until the temple was destroyed in AD 70... There were records, genealogical records, kept in the temple itself. But the temple was destroyed in 1870, and those records were also destroyed. So there are a few records, genealogical records, for Jews outside of the Old Testament writings and a few others. There are few genealogical records that remain. But we do have Jesus' genealogy preserved for us so that we can know that he is as he says, as um, Matthew says. He is the Messiah. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham, the one that had been promised um, to crush the head of the serpent. Now look with me at um, Galatians chapter 3. Just for a minute. A couple minutes. <laughs> 25 minutes. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, I'm going to read a pretty good part of this here. So Galatians is Paul's uh, correction letter uh, to a region, to an area of churches that had been infiltrated by false teaching and false teachers. Um, Essentially, uh, there were those going into the churches saying, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. And listen, if you're talking to like a group of, of Greek, of Gentile people that, that aren't circumcised, a bunch of dudes, right? You're going to be like, listen, if you really are a follower of Jesus, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to go under the knife. They're going to be like, uh, we've got to think twice about this, you know. Um, <laughs> Essentially, what it was doing was adding works to the message of Jesus. See, the gospel message is this, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. And anyone who trusts him, he rescues. He rescues us. It's not us doing good things, keeping some law, keeping the Ten Commandments, or keeping any other sort of rules or regulations to make ourselves acceptable to him. The great news is that God justifies the ungodly by faith, by us trusting him. That is great news. It's such good news for us. And then he comes to live inside of us to change us, to make us, to conform us into his image. Okay? That we begin to look and think and act as he, as he does and as he is. But with the region of Galatia, something was happening. There were Judaizers coming in essentially saying, no, 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 no. If you're really a follower of the Jewish Messiah, you need to go under the knife. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the whole law of Moses. And that's a pretty uh, hefty weight to bear and one that Paul himself would say, you Jews weren't able to keep that anyways, or we Jews weren't able to keep the law of Moses anyways. (laughs) So, Galatians 3, Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus the Messiah was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made mature or perfect, complete by the flesh, by the work of your flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law law, or by the hearing of faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith, are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's a quote from Habakkuk. Yet the law is not of faith. But here's the standard of the law. The man who does them shall live by them. Paul's saying this. The law says, here are the rules, and if you do these things, you'll live. But the fact that nobody could be justified by the law is evident when God said to Habakkuk, the just person, the person who's right with God, is the one who lives by faith. The one who lives trusting God. Not the one who is keeping the law because you aren't able to keep the whole law anyhow. Um, As he said, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Not just some things, right? People are like, listen, me and God are pretty good because I've never murdered anybody. (laughs) And then Jesus, of course, shows up on the scene. He says, yeah, but have you been angry at your brother without a cause? Have you shouted off, raka, are you fool at people? Have you been controlled by anger like that? Because that's where murder is rooted. It's in anger. You've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you're already guilty. Right? Are you sure you keep the whole law? Because cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written. Right? The person who wants to be justified by the law simply puts themselves under a curse. Because they can't. They won't be justified by the law. Christ has, verse 13 of Romans 3, the Messiah has re- redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's brought us back from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in the Messiah Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of man, though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is the Messiah, who is Christ. The promise given to Abraham was not just for the physical descendants of Abraham, his seeds. It wasn't just for his physical children. But the promise was actually to his seed, Paul says. Singular word, seed. And that seed is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before it by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And the story of Jesus' genealogy reminds me of a couple of things uh, in summary. One is um, that we all have a history, <laughs> and our families do too. Jesus' family had history. (laughs) And the fact that his family had the history that it had with prostitutes, with deception, with murder, with all of that stuff, reminds me that God is very kind to us. And he can use us and work in our lives in spite of our histories and in spite of our families. That his redemption isn't hindered by... By our genealogical records, I know that there's there has been sort of this push to like do those ancestry things and figure out who are who are you know where we came from or whatever. Fine if you want to do it, I don't, I don't care, but it doesn't change the work of Jesus now in your life. It doesn't affect that. And one of the things that I'm learning, certainly as I get older, is that there's so many things in our lives that. Simply distract us from living right now in this moment, looking at the people around us, saying, how can I love these people? How can I serve my spouse? How can I help my children? Because we're busy, we're preoccupied with so many other things, whether it's looking into our history, <laughs> our genealogical records, or whether it's just being busy because of jobs and work and play. We have so much entertainment. Or we're a culture consumed with entertainment. <laughs> You know, we carry these little, I mean, this thing, can you imagine somebody 50 years ago? I mean, if you had handed them like an iPhone, (laughs) they'd have thought you were a a wizard or something. We still do. Also reminds me of the grace of God. God is kind to us just as he was kind to them. To include people like the ones he included. To say of King David who had Uriah murdered and who committed adultery by sleeping with uh, Bathsheba even while she was still married to Uriah and, and, and all of that stuff. Like a reminder of the grace of God that he could say of David, this is a man after my own heart. That doesn't mean that God approved of those things, right? (laughs) It doesn't mean that you should go murder your best friend and take his wife. Um, Don't do that, in case you had any questions. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, um, But it is a reminder that um, God is able to redeem and that He's able to forgive sin, even things that we think are are atrocious or, or terrible. You know, I think about the way that we talk about as the church or as. Uh, Christians sometimes the way that we talk about something like abortion, we we get on a high horse at times and we talk about the concept or the idea of abortion, and uh, and and how how I believe it, it is a terrible thing, um, and sometimes we do it in a way that can be um, hurtful to people who have had an abortion. And, uh, and I wonder if sometimes there's a, a better way for us to, to deal with relationships and to, to talk to people about things in a way where, where it's not just me making a point because I feel this way about this thing, but instead it's me reaching a person. Saying, listen, I care about you and I understand that you've been through this and, and I don't know all the circumstances involved in that. Um, yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's a, it's a, a heart-wrenching, terrible thing. That happens so much right? But I also recognize That there are people involved And so the question for me Becomes how can I love the people that I'm Talking to whoever it is in what way Can I demonstrate care and kindness And love and grace and recognize That that there may be and very likely Is a lot of hurt involved in their Lives regarding that situation And how can I show them that Jesus Gives rest that he redeems That he rescues people That he saves us And certainly that's only one example. There there are other illustrations, other areas of people's lives, other things of sin, other issues where sometimes we get up on a high horse and we proclaim from the rooftops of Facebook our stance on something. Only to alienate the people that maybe we would have had an open door to show love to and talk to in a more intimate way to understand and to help them to understand um, the goodness and the grace of God. Jesus' history, his family history, reminds me that God is so gracious. (laughs) He rescues sinners, you guys. Um, It also reminds me that sometimes the things that God is accomplishing are (laughs) long-term. Like, God gave promises to Eve, to Abraham, to David, and to others, and it took a long time for them to be fulfilled. (laughs) So I know that there may be things that you've prayed about, or things that that maybe you believe the Lord has spoken to you about, or or maybe someone has 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 uh, has given a, a word of prophecy about. I think in my own life of of how somebody came up to Kelly and I after a conference one time in Atlanta, a guy that we'd never met before. He just walked up to us and he said, "Hey, you guys have kids?" And we said, "No," and we've been wanting to have kids for several years at this point. We, we've been married three years or so at the time, three or four years. and and he said, well, I really believe the Lord wanted me to come and tell you this, that you're going to have kids that I don't know how many, one, two, three, and our eyes were getting bigger as the numbers went up. He said, but, uh, but I really believe the Lord wanted me to tell you that, and that they, they're going to um, serve the Lord. And, um, and then he said, that's all. And he just turned around and left. And we were like, well, all right. you know. So, uh, And with anything like that, I am, I am a very skeptical person by nature. Uh, I grew up in the Assemblies of God with lots of abuses and weirdness about spiritual things just over the top. Where nobody really even taught about what the Bible says about any of that stuff. They just did weird stuff. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm already skeptical about those things. And what I did was I did what Mary did whenever she, uh, whenever the angel told her that uh, she would be um, uh, the mother of the Messiah. Uh, she held it in her heart. That's what I did. I just said, all right, if it's from the Lord, it's going to happen. I don't have to do anything. I mean, it's, it's God's word. It's going to happen, you know. And uh, and eventually it did, right? But there may be things like that. It was like seven years later when we got pregnant with our first uh, son, uh, Micaiah Samuel, who, who was born at about 15 weeks. And uh, in uh, gestation, of course, didn't survive. Um, but... Um, And that was itself, you know, we were like, yes, finally, seven years, you know, God is fulfilling his promise to us, you know. And then uh, the Lord said, no, I want him with me. Okay, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the next year we had Silas. And then Caleb, a couple years later, and then Abigail was surprised. (laughs) It's like the, you know, the floodgates were open at that point, I guess. Uh, But uh, anyhow, a reminder to me that sometimes the things that God is doing in our lives are long term. So um, we try and gauge whether or not we're going the right way by what success looks like. And sometimes you can't do that. You just got to do the things that you know are right even if there's no, no, no what, you're, what outcome that you're looking for. You've got to do the things that, that are right. You've got to obey the Lord. You've got to keep pursuing Him and seeking Him, even if it looks like things aren't working out a particular way. Again, think about how Israel waited 400 years for another oracle from the Lord, and John the Baptist shows up, and I don't think they were expecting him. The guy wearing camel skin, eating locusts and honey, and he's like Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. You know, repent you sinners. I love Jay the B. He's awesome. And then the sort of the culmination of this whole thing is this. Uh Matthew one, twenty one. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Guys. What else is this there to say? Messiah's come. Trust him. Pursue him. Look to him. Learn of him. Take his yoke on you. As he said. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you will find rest for your souls. It's his promise to us. And that's what I want for us to be able to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace toward us. I pray that you would help us to obey you. I thank you that our lives don't have to be ruled by our genealogy. By the things that happen in the lives of the people who who gave birth to us. Or who came before us. That you're greater than that and that we can trust you and we can seek you. And I ask that you would give us wisdom and grace that you would help us Lord help us to spend more time with you. I know that you're always everywhere. You're always with us. You never leave us. But sometimes we just aren't sometimes I'm just not aware. I'm not I'm not in in a place where I'm thinking about your presence with me, and, and, I, and I want to be uh, more aware uh, when I'm at work, um, when I'm, <laughs> when I'm um, just dealing with life and, and serving my family. Lord. So I pray that you would continue your work in us. Thank you for sending Jesus. He does save us from our sin. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. Pray that you bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's right. Leland's like, I'm ready, y'all. <laughs> All right. Hey, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, smile on you, and give you peace, you guys. Love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, this morning. So, You guys are dismissed, or you can just hang out and there's more coffee, I'm sure. And more food or other things. So, do you have any questions or anything you want to talk about or pray about? You certainly can do that. I do have a question. With me, sir. Yes, sir. Do you know if the genealogy of Mary has ever been traced? Yep, it's, it's later in the Matthew. Matthew, I think. Uh, well, uh, in Luke chapter three uh, is another genealogy, and many believe that is Mary's uh, genealogy. there.